Welcome to this week's episode of Ronan Talks Languages. This week, I have an amazing treat for you guys. I spoke with Laura, who is a fantastic Irish translator in the European Parliament. As well as that, I spoke to Walter Mavrich, who is the Director General for Translation in the European Parliament. In this podcast, we talk about everything to do with Irish translation, and we discuss the dire need for Irish translators in the European Parliament and other European institutions. If you have any interest in the Irish language or learning foreign languages, I highly, highly recommend you keep listening to this really interesting podcast. Keep listening to find out more. How are you, Laura? Hi, Roland. I'm good, thanks. How are you keeping? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I just want to have a quick chat to you about Irish. Irish in the European Parliament. Very interesting. Um, not something that we hear about every day. So can you just tell me a bit about your current position? Yeah. Um, so basically, I'm currently working as an intercultural and language professional in the Irish Translation Unit of the European Parliament in Luxembourg. I've been here for about 18 months now. I started off as an Irish translation trainee in the unit and so yeah so basically um I ended up getting a job after my traineeship so far I'm really enjoying it so a lot of my work deals with translating documents from various languages into Irish so uh, my working languages are Irish English German Italian and I'm currently learning French yeah it's a uh, it's it's really interesting we get to translate a variety of documents in the parliament um, especially legislative and political documents those would be the main documents that I would translate we also translate a lot of documents from the committees which deal with various activities in the EU I would translate a lot of uh, reports and amendments to legislation legislative proposals that kind of thing so um, it's very very topical um, and yeah, it gives you great insight into what the Parliament is doing at the moment. And would you have known anything about, like you say, legislative, or I can't say that word, um, <laughs> stuff like that, like about employment and all that? Would you have known about that before you went in or is it just stuff that you, you learn as you go along? Um, I suppose I had an idea uh, of what was involved uh, with the institutions, but I didn't, I didn't really have a good understanding of how the EU worked until I actually started working there. I don't know, I feel like when I was when I was a student, like when I was in secondary school and when I was in college, like I just heard about like the EU and it was almost as if like the EU was just like one building in Brussels that like, you know, made all these important decisions. But actually um, it was, you know, as, as, I, as I got older, I suppose I looked into it more. Um, I, I don't think really that there is as much awareness about um, the EU institutions and what exactly they do for their citizens in Ireland as there is maybe in other uh, EU member states. But no, I, I, like obviously uh, when I was a trainee and um, just, I suppose, just by the fact that I was translating so many of these uh, committee documents and plenary documents, that obviously gave me an insight into kind of the legislative process within the parliament and how the parliament interacts with the commission and uh, with the council and with other EU institutions. So it's definitely something that I became more aware of as time went on. 
So obviously I studied translation in college, so I have a bit of insight into this. But for people who maybe don't have insight into translation, is it just like so much is just known two languages and that's it? It's really not. Um, it, it's really, I mean, I, like translation is quite a complex process. I mean, I think for someone maybe who hasn't translated before, it might just seem like you know, it might seem like something easy to do, but actually there is a great deal of work that goes into it. I mean, not just from choosing the right words, but like you also have to consider the audience of the, the target text. I mean, and how you translate differences from a cultural point of view into the target language. And I, I recently saw a quote and it was, uh, it said, translation is that which reforms everything. So nothing changes. So basically you have to, you know, you, you have to make so many linguistic changes. You have to, you know, make sure that the terminology is correct, make sure that the syntax is correct. But ultimately you want the text to kind of be adhering to the format of the target language so that when the reader is reading it, they, they actually won't notice that there have been any changes at all made to the document and they will just read it uh, without having noticed that, without having to kind of question what one word means or something. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, very, uh, it's a very complex process, um, but I suppose it's just a skill that, uh, like everything, you improve uh, with experience and with time. You weren't involved in any of that uh, overnight Brexit stuff, were you? I read one day that they had like 24 hours to draft some stuff and it was like everyone was going all night. It was pretty insane, apparently. Yeah, I mean, this this year was really unprecedented in terms of Brexit um, and also in terms of COVID. But um, yeah, I also heard that uh, the interpreters had to be on site in Brussels over Christmas, you know, just in case there would be any changes or that they, they their services would be needed straight away. Did you study translation in college? Or? Uh, so I studied uh, world languages in UCC. So I studied German, Italian and Irish. So I think probably the main reason why I was attracted to this course was because I could do three languages to degree level rather than just two, which is normally what you would do with the arts degree. So yeah, no, I absolutely loved the course. I suppose I had studied uh, German and Irish in secondary school, but I really wanted to study Italian because I had kind of started studying Italian in my spare time when I was a teenager. And so uh, I didn't really want to have to, you know, make this decision to leave one language for the other two. So it was great um, that I could kind of have three for my during my college and that I could do three to undergrad level. So, yeah, it was it was a really good course. And I mean, we got to study linguistic modules with it and yeah. it also had an Erasmus year and we were very flexible in terms of the modules that we could choose. Like, I mean, I studied everything from Italian literature to Irish poetry to German philosophy. So uh, it was very broad in the subjects that we were able to choose from. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, were languages something that you were always like interested in? It was actually. Um, from the time I was a child, I was exposed to the Irish language. So my mom is an Irish and English teacher. So she would have spoken a bit of Irish to us when we were younger. And then my grandmother is a native Irish speaker. She's from Spittle in County Galway. So, yeah, I, I definitely like was very 
very much aware of the concept of having a second language uh, when I was a child. I went to the Gwaeltacht when I was a teenager and I studied uh, German in secondary school. And then, yeah, I, I went on holiday to Italy uh, when I was like 15 or 16. It was my first time in Italy. And I just, when I was over there, I just like fell in love with the culture and the language and I decided to study Italian. So I just, I started kind of doing my own bits and pieces with it uh, in my spare time. Um, so that, yeah, I suppose when it came to deciding uh, what I would like to do in college, I knew that like studying languages was definitely something I was interested in and uh, something that would hopefully lead to a career that I would enjoy. So, yeah, that was kind of how I got to the job I have today, I suppose. So how did you decide between German and Italian for your Erasmus here? That's a good question. The thing is, well, I had started studying Italian when I was in first year. And uh, after my first year exams, I went to Italy for four months to au pair. Mm -hmm. I went to Florence to work for a family there. So I suppose when it came to me making my decision about where I wanted to go for Erasmus, um, I decided to go to Germany just because I hadn't lived in Germany before, whereas I had uh, lived in Italy. And I don't know, like lots of people were also telling me, oh, German is such a good language has such a good economy like if you study Italian you're not going to get a job but actually uh, Italian is a really important language in the EU so I'm glad that I have both but yeah I suppose it was um, it was the fact that I hadn't uh, lived there before but Erasmus in Italy probably would have been lovely as well. Were there any standout moments from your Erasmus in Germany? Actually, where did you go in your Erasmus? What city was it? I went to Leipzig in Eastern Germany. Yeah, I suppose uh, <laughs> there were many standout memories. I think just like the general, just the layout of the year was, was it was great. I mean, it was, uh, it just constantly revolved around traveling and socializing and meeting new yeah. people. I really liked the fact that, um, you know, I had, like I met great friends over there and I lived with other German students. So that was a great way for me to, to learn German, uh, Irish friends uh, that I had over there. And we would always just be traveling all of the time. So like, I mean, we used to go onto Skyscanner and we'd literally be like, okay, what's the cheapest flight we can get? I remember we went to Bucharest one weekend just because we got like 15 euro return flights or something ridiculous like that. I know um, Germany is very generous on their, is it holidays? They have all of February off or something around that time? Yeah, they do. Yeah, we had, well, we had like February and March off, but then our semester didn't start until April. So then we finished a bit later in the summer. But uh, yeah, that, that was great to have that time off. So you got your job in the European Parliament as yeah. an Irish intern. How did you end up coming across that job? Well, I started um, when, when I finished my exams in college, I kind of I knew I kind of wanted to do something with Irish. And I saw that uh, there was this opportunity to apply for this traineeship. So the traineeship that I applied for um, was organized by the Department of Culture, Heritage and the Gwaeltacht. And so I just said I would apply for it. But yeah, so I ended up getting it. Um, and it, the benefit about the traineeship was that it was like a 10 month duration because there are other traineeships, but um, they're five months. So it was good to have kind of 10 months. So yeah, it was uh, through that that I, I suppose I kind of came into the parliament, first of all. Um, and yeah, it was really, really good experience. 
let's say someone who's never done translation before but has the language could they potentially do the same traineeship as you absolutely yeah um i know the traineeship that i did um i think they started advertising for it like around maybe april or may but yeah i i would really recommend that traineeship for anyone who's interested in working in the eu like as a translator because it just it gives you such an insight into how the translation services are organized and what types of documents are translated and like you know we all have to start somewhere and i think a translation traineeship is actually such a great way to just start and you know get an insight into the requirements for translators and kind of to get acquainted with the linguistic style of the eu institutions is it a stressful job it can be a little bit stressful i suppose every job can be stressful but um sometimes i suppose the week before sessions or the week of plenary sessions we would have very short deadlines for jobs that are quite long for for like translating documents which are quite long okay so like what does it take to be to be a translator is it a particular is it something in you or can you be trained? Well, I suppose kind of having a natural aptitude for languages is a huge help. It's really important as well that like not only that you have, you know, a good grasp of foreign languages, but that you're also really familiar with your own language and with the nuances of your own language. So, for example, with Irish, um, like you really have to know kind of the nitty gritty stuff about the, the various grammar rules and uh you know, like you have to really know um, your terminology quite well. But I would say that if you had someone who hadn't translated before, that you could, it is something that you can train yourself to do well. I mean, obviously it is a help if you are kind of, you know, more linguistically inclined. But if you really apply yourself and you get experience, then I think it is possible to become a good translator. So do you think like your your degree in, in languages opened up things? Obviously, you're in a very, very nice job at the moment. But like, could you have gone down other routes? Like, was there other possibilities for you? Definitely. Um, like, I suppose the thing about languages is that, um, you know, it's very broad and that can be a good thing or a bad thing because in one way, you know, you you have skills for a lot of different fields, but then, you know, you're confronted with so many choices. But yeah, I definitely did maybe consider doing something like teaching, language teaching, and I also considered doing maybe journalism. But the translation was something that was always kind of in my head since I was a teenager, particularly Irish translation. And I suppose I like I still wasn't 100% sure about, you know, whether that was the job for me, uh, even when I was leaving university. But um, I thought that, you know, if I do the traineeship, then that's going to be a good indicator of whether I want to pursue that career or not. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy uh, with the job I have now as a translator. Thanks for talking to me, Laura. It's been really, really interesting. Thank you so much for having me on. It was lovely to talk to you. So after that great chat with Laura, I am so honoured to introduce to you Walter Maverich, who is the Director General for Translation in the European Parliament. Hi, Walter. How are you? I'm fine, Ronan. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for joining me. It means a lot. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very glad to join you. So you are the Director General for Translation in the European Parliament. 
Could you tell me a bit about what your role entails? Well, um, yes, the director general, of course, is an administrative name. That means that I'm the boss of the, or the of the of the translation service, which is a global leader in translation. We have about uh, 1,300 language professionals who work in uh, different profiles, and uh, my role is to manage primarily. But originally, I'm a linguist. I come from a from a less spoken language, as we say now, politically correct. I my original language is Slovenian, Slovene, and uh, I come from the North Adriatic region of Slovenia, which uh, combines many languages in the same the same place. It, it's Italian and Slovene are almost the same, so I consider myself sometimes even bilingual, not sometimes, quite occasion, quite frequent, frequently, but uh, at the same time also uh, German, Friulian, which is probably the language in Ireland is not known very much, but also, also Croatian and Serbian and other languages in the area. So you you grew up very much multiculturally, you could say multilingual. Yeah. So was it almost like a natural progression for you then to go on and study languages in university? And I think that, that that is the main reason I did, yes. I think uh, I was just speaking today with a friend when we reminiscent a little bit about our past. And uh, and I said, you remember when we wanted to study medicine and law and everything? And then at the end, it was the languages that prevailed. And uh, when you are 18, you really don't know maybe sometimes what you want to be when you grow up but uh, I think I knew it would be either law or medicine or or languages and now I have law and languages at the same time because the European Parliament is the body that adopts laws for the entire European Union and you said you're multi or you consider yourself multinational or multilingual in certain mm-hmm. aspects what are your working languages or what were your working languages when you first went into the yes um, I mean as as everyone who works in the European uh, institutions you have to have minimum uh, three uh, working languages that is your own mother tongue plus two the average of all the language professionals in in our institution is about five and that is the case for me as well okay and does everyone go in knowing five or is it like no we start with with three and then we are adding during the career the languages. I think that uh, the beauty of this profession is that it's a place of work where you can actually study languages during work because this is the what the service requires you to do. Of course, we have a list of six languages that we need to have and we need to train almost everyone, and that is English, French, German, Italian, Spanish, and Polish. But uh, for motivational purposes and for other purposes, we organized language courses all the time for all 24 official and working languages of the Union, even Slovene even Irish. And we always invite people to join, especially when uh, when we have small groups and uh, maybe to, to organize a group on some language. Of course, it is easier to organize in an intensive format, let's say during the summer, but sometimes we have to organize it also during the regular year but maybe in a non-intensive format. And are there any languages that like, or language combination that are most useful in the parliament or in any European institution? Yeah, um, in any case, when we publish the post and when we publish the comp- the vacancy po- you know, for, the, for the positions, we always specify what is the most useful combination for us. And it depends from language to language. We look also at what, uh, what the, the structure of this 
language team is. You have to understand that the language teams are, we count all the language professional, professionals together. They're close to 40 people. And so we look at the, the, the structure of these language teams, what, which languages are needed. But still, at the, the first, we require perfect knowledge of your mother tongue. But I really don't, I intentionally use the word perfect because for us, it's the most important thing is the knowledge of your own mother tongue. And then we vary between the six so English, French, German, uh, Polish, Italian, and Spanish. And then, uh, depending on the need, if I publish the post for, let's say, Slovenian, I would probably go around six languages because that's what I will need. That's where the source documents will come from. And that's where the majority of the studies in Slovenia are done. Not, for example, the majority of students of la languages in Slovenia would be around English, French, German, Italian, Spanish. If I publish a competition for Irish, I would probably ask for English as a, as a first language. And then I would focus more to French, Spanish and German, not so much uh, other languages. But uh, we try to be as equal as possible for all languages, because um, if we look now at how people write, in, in, in the European Parliament, uh, especially the members of the European Parliament, we see that even sometimes they are not native, educated native speakers of English, but they do use English as the first source language. They write in English. The percentages of the source text in English vary, but they can reach even 80% sometimes. But on, on average, it's between 60 and 70% is in English. The European institutions are very eager to bring over people who speak Irish. Is yes, that correct? That is correct. Irish is a, uh, an official language since the beginning, of course, but we have adopted a very clear policy of how to insert uh, Irish among the languages where everything is available also in Irish. We started first with the communication with the citizens and that was done also before the European elections of 2019 when all the materials that were produced for the electoral campaign in communicating what Parliament does and actually the series was called What Europe Does For Me and that was done in all languages including Irish. But then we started also uh, translating laws into Irish and, uh, and initially maybe just the final version without all the amending versions that are normal for every parliament of the world. But now in 2022, on the 1st of January 2022, we are abolishing this derogation for Irish. So it means that we'll have to have full um, availability as much as possible, of course. And that is why we have created uh, the Irish Translation Unit and Irish Translation Team with the language professionals in, uh, in all uh, profiles. And uh, we are quite happy in, in cooperating also uh, with the, the government of Ireland in this domain, very much supported by it, trainees with the university programs. I myself have visited on many occasions also the universities in Ireland to give presentations of what we do to the students and many of them then join us. So to become an Irish translator, do you require any special training? Yeah, um, the same as for others. Um, uh, now, the Irish, uh, as we call now, the, we try to ab ab uh, abolish the word translator. We use the intercultural language professional now. <laughs> and uh, it is to define also really the specific profession in the parliament. It's really making it closer to the citizens what we, what we do. But uh, the requirements are the same as for any other uh, 
nationality in any other language, we ask you to have two source languages. Apart from uh, having Irish as a perfect knowledge, we ask you to have uh, two source languages. We will ask you to have English, of course, and that will not be a problem. But we want also another language. That is for the intercultural language professionals. They have to study. They can study any university. They don't uh, the any university degree. They don't have to have a translation degree for that. But of course, it would be much more welcome if they do. And if they don't, they will go through a series of exams. Like everyone, we call this procedure uh, competition. But uh, the exams last. There are about five or six exams at the end of the process, and um, they last about four, nine months altogether because there are different steps. and uh, And then you become um, eligible for the for the recruitment, and then uh, different institutions, including the European Parliament, would call you. That is for the for the translators or the intercultural language professionals. And then we have also another profession which is called proofreaders, and that is an uh, equally important position. It's uh, at the beginning of the translation process and at the end. And now it's linked very much to technology, but it's linked primarily to languages. And we just published now a competition for the selection procedure for the proofreaders uh, in Irish language. Uh, and I think I would be very happy if uh, your listeners would uh, maybe take note of this and maybe even apply. So in theory, are you saying that if someone had a very good knowledge of Irish, English as a mother tongue, obviously, and potentially school level French, but they've kept it up for another four or five years, could they apply? Yeah, absolutely. So, so they wouldn't have to do French in college or whatever in college. It's just if you have the three languages you you can go for it yes uh, you don't have to prove that you have the, the knowledge of languages you prove the knowledge through the tests that we give you so uh and of course if you believe that you can do this you absolutely you can apply what we are going to ask you for the intercultural language professionals we will ask you to, that you have a a first level university degree which is a three-year a degree. That's the only thing we ask. It can be languages. It can doesn't have to be languages. And then you come and you uh, pass the first. It's a series of uh, exams with multiple choice computer based tests. And then you pass the translate. You have to pass the translation test. Of course, the translation tests are difficult, but you will have to translate into Irish, which is your mother tongue, or you will have to translate into English, which is again for many colleagues in in Ireland a mother tongue. That's why we require a perfect knowledge of the mother tongue but if you of course in in the the case of the translation you will have the, the help of the the dictionaries as you would normally have if you were translating for the proofreaders it is uh, a different uh, a different combination of uh, of uh, requirements there is also some experience required but it's a, it's a lower level of education then what type of characteristics do you think someone needs to be a successful translator? Well, we focus a lot now on this intercultural uh, possibility, um, meaning that the European Parliament builds on values that are common to all Europeans, are values that, uh, that we share. And because we share these values, this is resembled then in laws, it's, it's Sometimes it's a compromise. Language mediators, language professionals are the only one that can transfer that. And they can transfer into making this as localized as possible. Now, if it's a translation of law, we have to be accurate at the same time. But we have to transfer also some legal concepts from one language into another. Then, for the mere fact that after the laws are adopted, all language versions are considered to be originals. 
So the, imagine the responsibility that the translators have. Together with lawyers, of course, they prepare a version that it's considered in courts as the original. So that's why this intercultural element is extremely important for us, that we know that we have in front of us these intercultural language professionals that are able to do that. That's the first element. The second thing is this communication with the citizens. Here, we have to say that uh, if I speak about a complex European issue, I have to make it as clear as possible. That doesn't mean that I'm going to change it into the level like I'm talking to a five-year-old. But no, I want to make it just clear. And that means that I will adapt it, I will localize it, I will uh, translate it in such a way that would contain maybe shorter sentences, not uh, long, complex sentences. I will not use maybe passive voice so much. I will use stronger verbs. I will not use this, uh, these bureaucratic verbs. So there are many things that only linguists can do in the communication with the citizens. We are, of course, not going to produce the content. Content will be done by other professionals. If I have to talk about vaccines now, what is European Parliament doing to accelerate the vaccination or to uh, control the distribution? At this point of view, I, I want to be as clear as possible in the messages to the, to the citizens, not a complex bureaucratic uh, type of communication. So this is the second, speaking the language of the citizens, or as we call it, citizens' language. And then we have um, something that you have it or you don't, you know, but, uh, but we'd like to promote it. We would like to, our translators and all language professionals to be intellectually curious, so to follow the news, to follow, to read the newspapers, to, to see what is going on. Because one of the important things of the European Parliament is to follow whether the human rights are violated in the world, in the world, not just Europe. And we produce many uh, texts about that. And we have even an item in the session of the European Parliament on that. So imagine when you have to translate and if it's something, a totally different concept from what you have you've never heard before. It's good that you know about it, no? And if you know about it, it's easier to translate. So these are the things that I would expect. I could go on and on with other more linguistic uh, things. But yes, I think um, these are the things I would say as the mo most important. So to be intercultural facilitator, to be oriented towards citizens and new citizens' language and clear language, and to be intellectually curious, apart from knowing the languages and everything. Yeah. When someone thinks of the, the job of a translator, normally, more often than not, they're going to think of sitting by themselves in front of a few dictionaries, loads of pieces of paper everywhere. Is that far from the truth? Well, we, I don't know if you know in Ireland, uh, uh, but probably you do. You, ha you have the you're celebrating probably the same uh, patron of the translators as we do. Uh, it's Saint-Jérôme, I think it's called in English yeah. as well. And it's at the 30th of September and he's the patron of all translators. And he was the first translator of the Bible. And the picture that we have of him uh, is often depicted as a person uh, next to a candle with lots of books in, in roles even sometimes and, and uh, writing uh, word by word in translating the Bible. Are we still like this? Occasionally, yes, and we love it. And I think we love the smell of the books and the dictionaries, not the candles so much. I think we have gone to the electricity by that time, But and we use computers. But um, occasionally we are. But in the European Parliament, we have to say that we have gone in the past 10 years to 
a very, very team orientation and uh, uh, in two areas that are major areas. The first one is in translating laws. Here we have a team of at least five people that participate there uh, from those who deal with terminology uh, of the law, those who actually write, and those are the members of the European Parliament, then those who give the secretarial support of the law, and those are normally lawyers and uh, administrators in the, the Parliament's committees. Then we have those who are in the shadow, and they still have uh, the, something to say in the content, on the content. And then we come together with, the, or maybe even towards the last phase, it's the linguist, language professional. Uh, that's one area. And the second area is this communication with the citizens. Here, it's, uh, we have to have a very, very good contact uh, with the client. Of course, the client is the citizen always. Or um, it is the person who created this content. There are many things that, that uh, we use in this uh, citizen's language approach that require nothing that resembles Saint-Jérôme. It's, uh, it, on the contrary, it's very, 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 very collaborative work. You said the translators are very much in the shadows. The best translation jobs you'll never know that there was ever a translation job done. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, it has to sound like an original. And uh, when I studied translation, I remember my professor who always said, you have to feel the soul of your lang- of that language in that that translation. No? So if I, do, if, I do, if I don't feel the Slovenian soul in the, my translation, then it's not a good translation. So that is why uh, it is very important to be perfect in your knowledge, perfect in your... Um, in perfect in your language, perfect in know- knowing the subject. Uh, because let's let's not um, also forget one thing: we who who are language professionals, not just translators, also interpreters and everyone, we are never going to be experts in the in, the, in the, that specific field. We will probably know a lot, but we will not be experts. Our expertise is languages. What advice would you give to people who are listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I. I have Irish, I have English, and I have one or two other languages. What advice would you give them? Well, I would like to say first that there are options to work at home in uh, in Ireland and options to maybe move outside Ireland. If you decide to work at home, I think you will have to focus on different Types. I think the the I don't know Ireland that much to to judge that, but it, it's valid probably for any society. You have you will have a different client there, and and I think the 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 application of all the criteria that I talked about before is the same, but it will be with another aspect. And I think there you will have this always this advantage that you will be living in the society where everybody speaks this language. So becoming a translator there and staying in Ireland and working for a translation agency or working for a, as an independent translator, freelance translator is, of course, has of course, has many, 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 many advantages. But you will lose this international and this cosmopolitan and this multilingual uh, um, uh, part of it that helps you understand maybe the facilitation between many cultures. And that's where we come in. So if you... If you more want to work uh, on that part, so facilitation the communication, 
facilitation, the transfer of, in our case, the laws, then you maybe decide to work for us. We need, uh, we need, uh, we'd like to ask all the, the colleagues that are considering either trans, uh, studying translation or are finishing or have finished that uh, they focus on what is their mother tongue first. And if it's Irish, we have many opportunities. We are setting up a team now of about 25, uh, 27 actually translators uh, and then about uh, 10 uh, proofreaders. Some of them are already there, but it's not all finished. So we still have uh, opportunities and we, we published now the this uh, vacancy for the proofreaders. Hopefully this year we're going to publish also one competition for the intercultural language professionals in Irish. But uh, if you your mother tongue is English, then we have uh, many opportunities there as well. I, apart from these two, so for the intercultural language professionals and the proofreaders, and both of these are published or will be published this year. Uh, we have also one important uh, competition that was published just yesterday, so 3 March uh, 2021, and that is uh, English language, clear language professionals, meaning dealing with the originals in English, correcting, editing, giving advice, giving drafting support, adapting, localizing. So it's a it's a dream job for those who have English as their mother tongue and, of course, the competence to deal with languages. So if someone wants to see where these things are published, where would they go? We have, um, of course, we use social media to, to advertise as much as possible. We have um, the um, uh, inter-institutional, we call it, that means for all institutions or for all who want to look where the job opportunities are. It's called one portal it's called epso epso and if you google that i think it will come it will come immediately but also if you go to apply for ep if you google that apply for with the number ep european parliament you will get also the platform that will tell you what kind of options we have in the european parliament thank you so much walter it's been a pleasure thank you very much ronan and i think this uh, uh this is a very good uh, opportunity to also thank uh, you for spreading the news about the european parliament and the translation service of the european parliament among your listeners and among the students and prospective students and I would like to thank you personally for that. And I wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. I would like to thank Laura and Walter for taking the time to talk to me and to thank you for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and follow me on Instagram, Ronan Talks Languages Podcast. Until next week, thank you.